Hey, by the way, I know that you guys, I know Brad taught a series, I believe, through the, through the book, A Dangerous God. Um, you know, if you didn't come to that series, listen, I think every Christian in America needs to read this. I actually think every Christian in the world, not because I wrote it, but because it's just truth. There's like 600 uh, scripture references in this book. It's not what I think. It's what God says. Um, so if you want one, I'll give you one. Uh, I'm not trying to make any money here. I, I detest people who promote their products in the pulpit. I'm not doing that. If you want one, you can have one. Um, so tonight, our attributes of study is ending. Uh, personally, I've done this study 10 times with 10 small groups. You'd think I'd get tired of it, but I never do. I am always gobsmacked. I taught you that word a couple of weeks ago. It's a charming English word that means I am utterly astonished and amazed at who God is. So, gobsmacked. You can use it with your friends and family. Um, I'm like those, the four living creatures in Revelation 4. They just look at God. And as far as we know, that's all they've ever done. They just look at Him. And as my seminary professor said, you know, if you tapped one on the shoulder, would he turn around? He wouldn't turn around. He's not going to look at you. He's looking at Yahweh. And that's kind of how I am. I, I, I just love to, I love to look at him. And the more I look at him, the more I want to look at him. I think that's the Revelation 4 dilemma. Our last attribute, as you may have discerned from the passage reading, Scripture reading, is wrath. The wrath of God. So we'll spend our time this morning considering this glorious perfection of God. Yes, I said glorious perfection. Next week, I think the series will close out as we contemplate the value of the contemplation of God. That's the last chapter in Pink's book, Contemplation. Brad and I were talking the other day, you know, it's not simply that the Christian contemplates the terrifying magnificence of Yahweh, but it changes the way we live, right? <laughs> it's not just mere contemplation. It's contemplation with a purpose. It changes the way we think and live. So I want to begin this morning with A.W. Pink's opening paragraph in his chapter on wrath. And I'm going to ask you if you're guilty here, okay? Many, many, many churchgoers would have to, would have to if they're going to be honest, they would have to say, yeah, that's me. And if, if this is you, in this opening paragraph, I lovingly challenge you to repent. Listen to what he says. It's a little bit lengthy, but just stay with me. It is sad indeed to find so many professing Christians who appear to regard the wrath of God as something for which they need to make an apology. Or who at least wish there were no such thing. While some would not go so far as to openly admit they consider it a blemish on the divine character, yet they are far from regarding it with delight. Now that's a challenge probably for some of you. They like not to think about it. And they rarely hear it mentioned without a secret resentment rising up in their hearts against it. Even with those who are more sober in their judgment, not a few seem to imagine that there is a severity about the divine wrath that makes it too terrible 
to form a theme of profitable contemplation. You know, at the end of the day, you want to truly love Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross? You get a deep study of the wrath of God. You will cherish Jesus Christ as you have never cherished Him before. Pink continues, Others harbor the delusion that God's wrath is not consistent with His goodness. So, uh, they seek to banish it from their thoughts. So, here, here's what I want to say. If you claim to be a Christian, you have to stop apologizing and ignoring the wrath of God. You have to talk about this with your family and friends and neighbors. God never stops talking about it in the Old Testament. You know, you hear these people, these ignorant people say, well, I like the God of, of the New Testament, but not the God of the Old Testament. It's the same God. And He's still angry with your sin. It gets worse with Jesus. In the Old Testament, we're seeing temporal judgment. In the New Testament, we're seeing eternal judgment. It's eternal death. It's eternal condemnation. It gets worse with Jesus. Obviously, these people have never read their Bibles. They have no idea what they're talking about. God is unapologetic. He says, this is who I am. This is what I do. So, in this church, <laughs> we don't try to round off the edges. We're going to share the truth about who He is. That's the commitment that we have at this church. By the way, Pink tells us in his book, there are more references to God's anger and wrath than to His love and tenderness. All you got to do is go check a concordance. Just go do it. You go do the work. Don't take my word for it. You go do the work. And there were just, you know, as I thought about this sermon, there's just a lot of ways to run at this. We could talk about His infinite holiness, which we've talked about some, which requires His wrath against rebellion. We could look at the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Egypt, and the Canaanites, where God absolutely annihilates His enemies. We could take a deep dive into the words of Jesus regarding eternal conscious punishment. We could look at God's promised end times judgment in the Revelation, the angry lamb, I think Revelation 6. But after much prayer and consideration, the Lord has led me to the Old Testament prophets. It's astonishing how very little the modern church uh, spends looking and teaching and reading and, and contemplating the Old Testament prophets. They're, they are 25% of the Bible. And largely God uses these prophets to talk about His righteous indignation and fierce wrath. Again, it's 25% of the Bible. The psalmist lead us in today. I've always loved these two verses. Psalm 5, 5, God hates all who do iniquity. Now, your average churchgoer has no idea that's in the Bible. God hates all who do iniquity. Psalm 5, 5, N-A-S. Psalm 7, 11, God is angry with the wicked every day. New King James. So the psalmists leave no doubt. There's much to glean from the prophets regarding God's righteous judgment, but I want to underscore two profound truths God reveals through these men. 
I want you to take these home with you. I don't want you to ever forget these. Listen, you're not going to be able to stay with me. I'm going to sprint through a ton of Scripture. You can't stay with me, so don't try in your own Bible. What I want you to do this morning is I want you to sit back, and I just want you to let the Word of God wash over you. Okay? If you want my notes, you can have my notes. You'll get all the references in my notes. I'm happy to give you a copy or email them to you, whatever you prefer. But I want to underscore two truths that God reveals in His prophets. And I want you to be on the lookout for these realities as we sprint through some scriptures this morning. God first. God will severely judge those who merely feign worship to Him. He's not, and we've talked about this, He's not interested in pretense. He's not interested in a religious game. He's not interested. In fact, if you read your Bible, you realize He hates it. He loathes it. Secondly, as we look at a good number of passages from the, the Old Testament prophets here, I want you to hear how often God expresses what I'm about to read to you from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Listen to these two passages. In my view, these are fundamental. Jeremiah 4.18, God says this, Your ways and your deeds have brought these things to you. This is your evil. When God judges, you need to remember, God's not evil. Who's evil? His creatures are evil. And He comes in holiness. I'm going to read it to you again. Your ways, He says, to the people He judges. Your ways, your deeds have brought this on you. This is your evil. If you go over to Ezekiel 7, 3 and 7, He says it like this, I will bring all your abominations upon you. Your doom has come to you. Do you understand? We did it. We did it. So don't critique God for His fierce wrath. You need to look in the mirror. We did it. We are guilty. We will hear this truth repeated again and again and again and again and again this morning as I look through, as we go through some scriptures. So I want you to listen to this repeated indictment from God regarding his judgment of, of a people who claim to be his. Now, this is another issue, right? In the Old Testament prophets, he's talking about some surrounding nations and even there's some allusions to the end time judgment. All of that's there, but he's principally judging a people who claim to be his. Judah and Israel. They claim to worship Yahweh. It's important for us to think about that, beloved. So, listen to how Isaiah describes these people who claim to worship the biblical God. Isaiah says it this way. This is a rebellious people. Here's a phrase I want you to remember. They're false sons. He says, they're false sons. They're not true sons. They're false sons. Sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Who say to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us in pleasant words and prophesy illusions. It's the New Testament modern church. You can find a guy, you want to hire a guy that'll stroke you and tickle you and make you feel good about yourself, you can find that guy. 
He'll come in here and he'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. Of course, you'll have to answer to Yahweh for that, as, as will he. False sons. It's an epidemic. In the New Testament church, you guys, you guys remember how the Apostle Paul says it, for the time will come, are we there? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Yes, every other church, almost every church in America. I'm not saying we have a corner on the truth. I'm never saying that. But the truth is not rocket science. It's right here. All you have to do, and this is your responsibility, all you have to do is make sure I'm staying on the text. And I'm telling you what God said. If I'm not telling you what God said, you've got to run. You've got to get out. It's a false church. They're false sons. They're false teachers. So it's real simple to find out if, if I know what I'm doing up here. Right? It's real simple. If you don't see it in the Bible, you know you need to get away from me pretty quick. They will turn their ears from the truth and they will turn aside to myth. This is always present, present in Old Testament, present in New Testament. Before the New Testament was ever compiled, Paul was already talking about the dogs and evil workers who were bringing in and laying on top of the gospel things that were unnecessary, putting the law on top of the gospel. They were already there. They're always here. You guys know what I'm talking about. They're all over the internet. So, yeah, this sounds like almost any church anywhere in the world right now. And it's true, you know, I found out, you know, being over, overseas for 18 or 19 years, you know, we had a lot of folks come through the church. And a lot of people like church just fine as long as you don't, you know, as long as you serve up a, an emasculated God, you know, a user-friendly God. You serve him up, you can get a good crowd. <laughs> you know? You talk about Yahweh, and people just start to leave. They don't come back. They want to hear about him. You know, tell me about the caricature, the caricature Jesus. Tell me about him. But don't talk to me about the angry lamb. It's an epidemic. So, the prophets for hire led Israel and Judah away from God just as the pastors for hire do today. Jeremiah gives us God's assessment of these kinds of leaders and the calamitous consequences for the Jewish nation. And I'm going to insert some New Testament reality as I read this text from Jeremiah. The prophets and or preachers prophesy or preach falsely. And the priests or pastors Rule on their own authority. And my people love it. This is what God says. My people love this. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. I shared with you a couple weeks ago. That means they disapprove of what God says. They don't like it. They won't hear it. They'll find some preacher again who will stroke them. Make them feel good about themselves. The preacher that loves you is a preacher who will tell you the truth in such a way that you might become convicted and run to Christ. Now, I don't know how many of you have run to Christ, but hopefully by the time I end this sermon, you'll be ready to run to Christ. You better run to Christ. He is the angry lamb. Go read the last book of the Bible.
Turn off your favorite internet preacher and get in the Word. Right? My people love it so. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They don't delight in it. They refuse to take correction. They have refused to repent. Their transgressions are many. Their apostasies are numerous. Shall I not punish these people, God says? And on a nation or church such as this, shall I not avenge myself? Do you not fear me, declares God. You know, you go to your average Protestant church, there is absolutely no echo of the reality that we fear God. There's absolutely no echo of that anymore in your average church. And you'll never hear it from the pulpit. Listen, God is unapologetic. He's not trying to, he's not trying to win an election here. He is God. Whether you like it or not. And what I say to you, is you better learn to like it. You better learn to like the God who is. If you have a false God in your head, it's time to dispense with him. Do you not tremble in my presence? He says, I will stretch out my hand against you, God says. So we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament prophets, and I want you to listen repeatedly. It's almost like a chorus uh, with these prophets um, as uh, we look at the wrath of God. This is your fault. It's my fault. Why are we still not in paradise? We talked about this some months ago now. Why are we not still in paradise? Because we sin. And God is holy. There's only one response that God would intuitively have against sin, and it's wrath. We know that there's another that He's revealed. It's not intuitive, but it's biblical. Grace. But it's not unconditional, right? We talked a lot about that last week. Genesis 3.17, the ground is cursed because of, who knows? You! And me. Our principal goal this morning is to hear God speak His words of judgment and wrath. We will hear from several of His prophets as they talk about God's judgment on Judah and Israel. Again, some of the surrounding nations with references to the end times judgment. Ultimately, this is God's word of wrath and judgment to all who disregard Him and His word. Again, particularly those who are guilty of feigning allegiance to him. I'm going to say it again. He loathes that. He absolutely loathes that. People who play religion with him. Read your Bible. Just do a superficial read through. He always crushes that. He always, he always crushes that. Go find me an example where he doesn't. I'll change my sermon. So there's a lot of profit here. As we consider the awful wrath of God in the physical realm, it helps us, as John Piper talks about, get some sense of His awful wrath in the spiritual realm, the eternal realm. Right? Jesus is the one that talks about eternal conscious punishment. I like the way Piper says it. He says, you know, when, when, we, when we're studying God's wrath and judgment, 
his vengeance, his anger against his enemies. Piper says it's a wake-up call telling us that sin leads to things like this and is meant to awaken us from our dream world of thinking our sin's no big deal. It's a horrifically big deal. <laughs> right? You know, your average churchgoer is kind of like, well, I can sin. Yeah, I'll see. Oh, well, I'm being tempted. Okay, I'll, I'll do it because I, I, I'll get grace. Listen, that's not how real believers think. We don't think like that. Right? We don't think, well, I'll sin all the more that grace may abound. We don't think like that. No true believer thinks like that. No born-again believer thinks like that. That's not the mental calculus. That's not how it works. I'm going to say this three times. God is judging principally a people who claim to be His. Most of the judgment I'm going to read to you, it's on a people who claim to be his. It's on a people who claim to be his. But they're not his, are they? It's all pretense and performance and charade. If they were his, they wouldn't live like this. If they were his, they would love him above all else. So first book, the book of Joel. So first, one of the first sermons I had to preach, I got assigned the book of Joel. I had to preach the book of Joel. It was really an eye-opener for me. I'm just going to give you a few words and one phrase. Here's God's judgment. Wail, mourn, ruined, destroyed, lament, destruction, desolate, tremble, thick darkness, gloom, consuming fire, anguish. And here's the phrase, all faces turned pale. When God begins to pour out His wrath, this is what it's like. Hosea. We see God's Romans 1 judgment that were apparent in all of the Old Testament judgments. In Hosea, we see God, He uses this word. He says, I, will, I am withdrawing from you. He uses this word. From those who prefer sin over fidelity... God gives them over to their own desires. It's the whole Romans 1 thing. He, these folks had exchanged the glory of God for idolatry. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, so He gave them over to a depraved mind. Here's a few verses from Hosea. Their deeds will not allow them to return uh, to their God. It's too late! Your average churchgoer thinks they can... Play God for a fool, and they can come whenever they want. I'll just come later. No problem. I'll come later. I'll put down my sin later. Listen, every time the gospel's preached, it's urgent. Right? It's urgent. Continuing Hosea. For a spirit of harlotry is within them. They will seek the Lord, but they will not find me. He has withdrawn from them. Romans 1. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. These are exclamation points <laughs> at the end of these sentences. 
They have gone deep into depravity. Therefore, Israel will be held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed to pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. Now, I know, you know, that's a verse you'll never hear, almost ever hear in, in a pulpit ever. And I know when it lands on us, it's, it's hard to hear it. It may be one of the hardest passages in the Bible to hear. But there's a great lesson for us here. Their little ones are being dashed to pieces and their pregnant women are being ripped open. It's terrible. <clears throat> it's awful. It's heinous. It's horrific. Just like your sin is to Yahweh. We don't think like this. We don't. We've been coddled. I know you haven't in this church. But as far as the modern church is concerned, the average modern church in America, it's all, you know, tickles and pets. We're supposed to connect the dots here. That's awful. That's heinous. Yeah. Like your sin. It's what God is saying in those passages I read to you earlier. These, this, is, this is your sin. This is your evil. These are your abominations. This is your doom and it has come to you. We declared our independence from God. We turned our back on God. We entered the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We unleashed evil uh, in choosing sin over God. We set all of that in motion. So we don't get to blame God for atrocities. We have to blame ourselves. Right? We don't blame God for atrocities. Ultimately, we'd still be in paradise if we haven't rebelled against Him. This is how the Bible talks. When you read some of these hard texts, you always need to remember the macro context. We rebelled. We ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and what? When you read evil on the pages of Scripture, we know the root of that, right? The Bible's not unclear here. We're supposed to own that. Your ways and your deeds have brought these things to you. This is your evil. I will bring all of your abominations upon you, says the Lord. How about Micah? It was a prosper, prosperous era. I'm sure much like ours, God not only speaks to Judah, but to every nation in revolt against him. Micah writes, and God says, behold, I am planning a calamity. Don't you know God's planning a calamity right now? Don't you know it? It's coming. The calamity's coming. You know? And a storm shelter is not going to, you know, do you much good. The calamity is coming. We all know it. Anybody that's born again in this room and you're looking at what's going on in the culture, we, we know it's coming. I mean, it's already on us. I think Romans 1 is already on us. The reprobate mind is in ascendancy. Everywhere you turn, reprobate mind. God has planned a calamity. They will cry out to the Lord, but He will not answer them. Instead, He will hide His face from them because they have practiced evil. I will execute vengeance and anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. Therefore, I will give you up for destruction 
Again, they practiced evil deeds. This is their evil. It is their abominations. God is responding to their evil. Zephaniah. He spoke judgment to Judah and referenced God's ultimate reckoning for all the nations at the end of the age. I will punish men who are stagnant in spirit. Are you stagnant in spirit? Those who did not trust in the Lord, they did not draw near to her God. I will gather the nations to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. I love that. All the earth. Nobody gets away with anything. It's a universal nature of judgment. Nobody gets away with anything. You're either saved in Christ or you're damned. Your sin gets paid for in Christ or you pay for it. You know, this is not rocket science. God didn't make it hard for us to understand, right? It's not hard to understand. Man, i got to have Christ. Or it's going to be bad for a long time. <laughs> Forever. You know, here's the value of looking at the wrath of God. You've got, man, you have got to run to Jesus. You have got to run to Jesus. You have got to get prostrate at the foot of the cross. You've got to have him. It's urgent. We all have to have him. Zephaniah references the stagnant in spirit, which, of course, you can't help but think of Revelation 3.16, those who are lukewarm. Who Jesus vomits out of his mouth. How about Nahum? We heard Joe read the text. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Who can stand before God's indignation? Who can endure his burning anger? Mountains quake, hills dissolve, the earth is upheaved by God's presence. Hearts, uh, I love this, hearts melt, knees knock. And he says, anguish is in the whole body, which is a picture of hell, obviously. Anguish in the whole body. God says, behold, I am against you. Does it get any worse than that? I just want to put that question to you. Does it get any worse than that? Does it get any worse than that? That sovereign, omnipotent God is against you. How do you think that's going to play out? If you're not, if you're not covered with the blood, how do you think it's going to play out? It's 25% of the Bible. And we don't know it as well as we ought to, right? I'm guilty too. I don't know it like I should. It's blasphemous to ignore this revelation of God. You know, you go to a church that never talks about it. They have, yeah, they have truncated him. And God doesn't, I don't think he takes kindly to that. It's blasphemous to say, we're never going to talk about that. We're never going to talk about the fact that you're like that. We're not going to talk about it. It makes us uncomfortable. Hey, I'm more interested in the glory of God than my, my level of comfort. God says, I, behold, I'm against you. I am against you, Zechariah. He describes a, an obstinate people who, through their willful sin and stubbornness, had lost the ear of God. Listen, listen to these words. And they made their hearts like flint. They did it. They made their hearts like flint. They did it. They could not 
Hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit. They made their hearts hard. They could not hear it. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord, and it came about just as he called, and they would not listen. So they called, and I will not listen, says Yahweh. Your average churchgoer has no idea God talks like this because your average preacher never preaches it. And you know, you're, I, you listen, I know how, I, I grew up in a crummy church. I know, I know what it's like to just have a guy pet you all the time. I know that. I know what it's like. There's no sense of urgency, right? I'm okay. God's okay. God loves me. He has a wonderful plan for my life. Even though I'm fornicating, you know, after the service. It's just stunning. It, it is. It's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. It's a dangerous game to take Yahweh for granted. He may no longer be listening to you. So today, right, writer of Hebrews, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Isaiah, 66 chapters in three minutes. That's good. You've got to give me credit. Here we go. Well, the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel and uh, cruel with fury and burning with anger. The heavens will tremble. The earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of God in the day of his burning anger. We see this over and over in, in, in the Old Testament. Hands falling limp, hearts melting, mountains melting. This is how God talks. He uses the word terror. He uses the word horror. Now, I know for sure terror 51 times in relation to God's judgment. I think, and I, I, I just didn't look it up before I came, I think it's 19 times he uses the word horror in, in relation to his judgment. Terror and Horror. I think I shared with you. I tried to get horror uh, in the subtitle of the book, but it just threw off, the, threw off the, the symmetry, so I couldn't do it. But your average churchgoer has no idea that God talks like this, I don't think. Isaiah continues. I will relieve myself of my adversaries. <laughs> Woe to them. And we know what woe means. It means damnation. For they have brought evil on themselves. There it is. For they have despised the word of the Holy One. On this account, the anger of the Lord is burned. The earth will be completely laid waste. They have brought this evil upon themselves. Again, this is your evil. Isaiah continues. Burning is God's anger. Trembling has seized the godless. The Lord has a day of vengeance. According to their deeds, he will repay. There it is again. It, it's on you. You did this. You started this. Your evil's coming back. Your abominations are coming back on you. Wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. God says, I will trod them in my anger and trample them in my wrath, for the day of vengeance was in my heart. You know, Karen had a, it's wrath. In Europe, it's wrath. You don't say wrath. You say wrath. She had a young African, no, no, it was an American, right? American. It was the African. 
No, it was, okay. Well, anyway. Um, he goes, that doesn't sound like God. You go to your average church, that's what anyone takes away. That doesn't sound like God. God can't be like that. You know, if it's just all prosperity and health, wealth, and, you know, it's all about you. <laughs> Never heard this about God. What do you mean? God is full of wrath. What do you mean? God says, according to your deeds, I will repay you. Ezekiel, he spoke graphically of both Israel and Judah's mutiny against God. Yes, again, people who claim to worship him as well as his allusions to the last day judgment. Ezekiel 3.27. And, and here's the warning that needs to resound from every pulpit in the world this morning. Here it is. I love this. This is the way I teach. This is the way I preach. This is the way I witness. You know, it's the Matthew 10.14 thing. Whoever does not heed your words. Ezekiel 3.27. He who hears, let him hear. He who refuses to hear, let him refuse. Again, God's not running for office. He's not overly concerned if you like how he talks and who he is. He just is. And he says it over and over and over again in the Bible. There's nobody like me. There's nobody like him. Through Ezekiel, God says, I'm against you. My eye shall have no pity and I will not spare I will make you a desolation, an object of horror. I will execute judgments against you in anger, wrath, and raging rebukes. I shall judge you according to your ways. There it is again. A disaster is coming, and though they cry in my ear with a loud voice, I will not listen to them. There will be no pity. Again, they are judged according to their ways. Ezekiel continues, Utterly slay, O men, young men, maidens, little children, and women. My eye will have no pity. I will bring their conduct upon their heads. There it is again. I, I shall enter into judgment with you face to face, and every heart will melt, and you will know that I am God. Now, he says this. If you read through the Old Testament, every time God brings a huge judgment, he says this. They'll know I'm God. And let me tell you something. America's about to find out that he's God. The whole world's going to find out. I don't think it's going to be very long. I don't know. I'll probably be out of here. Praise God, I'm ready to go. I don't think it'll be very long. How long-suffering is God, right? How patient is God? He's blasphemed every day, <laughs> at every turn. It's unbelievable. Every heart will melt. Ezekiel continues, I, the Lord, shall not relent. I shall not be sorry. This is according to your ways, according to your deeds, I will judge you. I will ex execute great vengeance. I shall bring terrors on you. And in my zeal and in my blazing wrath, all men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence, and they will know that I am the Lord. He just keeps saying this all the way through the Old Testament. Jeremiah he proclaimed doom on an apostate, idolatrous Judah with multiple allusions to God's end times judgment. He writes, here's God speaking, Jeremiah, three minutes. And I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, there it is again, whereby they have forsaken me. 
You've walked after emptiness and become empty. Have you not done this to yourself? Nobody gets to critique God for fierce wrath. You did it. We did it. And when it comes, and it will, His people will see it as a beautiful perfection. Beautiful holiness. Perfect holiness. And all the evil will be swept into hell. And, and we'll live in perfect communion with a perfectly beautiful holy God. There'll be no evil. There'll be no wickedness. There'll be no blasphemous. No blasphemy. You've done this to yourself. You have forsaken the Lord your God. God says, I, shall I not avenge myself? There it is. It's clearly personal, right? This is all personal. Every sin is personal. You say, no, Jim, it's not really. I just, you know, I'm just not disciplined. No, it's personal. It's like, I don't care what you say, God. I don't care what you say. And I know we all have patterns of sin we're fighting. I get that. But, but you have to own this for yourself. I don't care what you say. I want what I want. Jeremiah continues, Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people. Behold, terror. They refuse to know me. There it is again. Though they will cry to me, I will not listen. I will show no pity. Nor will I be sorry, nor have compassion, that I should not destroy them. It's all self-inflicted. Jeremiah again. I shall pour out uh, their own wickedness on them. I shall make them an object of horror. For a fire has been kindled in my anger. It will burn upon them forever. There it is, an allusion to hell. You know, we don't have a whole lot of teaching in the Old Testament about hell. Jesus fills it out, right? He fleshes all of that out for us. Jesus does. He does. Jesus. <laughs> he fleshes that out. But here's a clear allusion to it. Which will burn, my anger will burn forever. I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror. I'm going to bring terror upon you. And you guys know Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. Lamentations is about, who knows, the judgment of Jerusalem, God's city. Just a few excerpts. For the Lord has caused Jerusalem's grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. It's always us. In the day of his anger, the Lord has not spared. He has not restrained his hand from destroying. There's no one who escapes or survives. In the day of the Lord's anger, God has slain and not spared. He has recompensed them according to the work of their hands. There it is. Romans 1, here we go. And he will give them hardness of heart. You know, a lot of people struggle with, well, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, that's his prerogative. And he'll hard yours if he needs to, if he desires to. If, if you stiff arm God long enough, that's what you're playing with, right? That's what we're playing with. God has slain and not spared. He has recompensed them according to the work of their hands. He says, I will pursue them in my anger and I will destroy them. God says it's all on them. So what's left to say? What's left to say? For anyone who wants to call themselves a Christian and then say they don't believe in a God of great wrath and terror, 
They are simply out of the closet Bible deniers, and they just need to own it. If that's, where you, that's, if that's who you are, you just need to own it. Which means you cannot be a Christian. You cannot be a Christian and deny one jot or, one jot or tittle of this. You cannot. I didn't say you, you might not struggle with some of it. But if you, if you start out denying it, it's all over. If you say, well, you know, there's some good stuff in there. And yeah, but there's some error in there. Some error got in there. You know, men put some error in there. That's not how God really is. Oh, well, you've just insulted God again. You don't think he's God enough to keep his word intact for his people? That's a horrible insult. I mean, it's about as bad as it can get. You've really taken the Lord's name in vain. I don't think he's God enough to preserve his word for me. To discount God's wrath is to discount his word again. It's creating a pseudo-Christ. One who will be absent on the last day. The angry lamb will be there. To deal with his enemies. And he will receive his people with open arms. Amen. This is the God of the Bible. So thankfully Yahweh is full disclosure God. He's not left us to grope in a vacuum. We know who he is. We know what he's like. He's a magnificent Savior, and yes, he is a dreadful judge. He'll be glorified as both on the last day. The God who is blesses and he ruins. He lavishes, he lavishly gives, and in judgment he takes away. He brings eternal joy and in wrath infinite terror. He does both of these things. He's not one-dimensional. And here's a text that's almost sure to never be preached in the average pulpit. Deuteronomy 28.63 And it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you, he's talking to the Exodus Jews, and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. I mean, what's being said here? God is glorified. God is glorified in grace and God is glorified in wrath. He is. You don't have to like it. That's what he says. And I know if you know him and love him, you do like it. Yes, Jesus gives life and he kills. He is pure delight and comprehensive horror. He is faithful to his word concerning both. He says, doesn't he? You know, Lisa asked me, why'd you, re why'd you write that book, Dangerous God? I mean, she didn't have that little face going thing, but she said, why'd you write it? And, and it just occurred to me, I'd never crystallized that thought until she asked me. Because God says, behold what? My kindness and severity. It's just obedience. It's just obedience, beloved. It's obedience. He means for men to uh, behold his kindness and to behold his severity and react accordingly. Right? It's what God says. You remember Lamentations 3, 19. You know, for anyone who would complain against, about the wrath of God, I, I love this simple verse. Again, Lamentations 3, 339. I don't know if I said it right. Lamentations 339. 
Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sin? Because he's told us over and over and over again, right through the scriptures, it's on you, it's on you, it's your evil, it's your abominations, you did this, you brought it on yourself. And I'm going to close with this. I found this, let me put it this way, God drove this truth home to me when I was writing that book. I'd never really felt it like, you know, that's how it is when you study the Bible, right? You know, suddenly a a text you've read before is like, bam! It's just like right in your heart. And you see things that you didn't see before. Psalm 81, 15. Listen to this. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him. Okay, this is the NAS Now that's paradoxical, isn't it? Those who, but, he, but here's the key word. They hate him, so they pretend. They can't love him. <laughs> Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him, and here it comes. And their time of punishment would be what? Oh, guess, guess, when their time of punishment would be what? Forever! Beloved. He is a dangerous God to all who persist in their sin. We talked a lot about it last week. His love is not unconditional. His love is for those who repent and believe. And we talked about it. To believe in such a way that everything changes. Everything. Let's put it this way. Everything doesn't instantly change. But everything starts to change. <laughs> because, because you're importing Jesus into every, every thought, every decision, you know, every action. Jesus is coming in now. What he says matters now. Beloved, it's profitable for us to consider the wrath of God. It is a beautiful perfection. And we will praise him forever and ever and ever. He's a holy God. And he's dispensed with his enemies. And we won't have to deal with them again. But in the interim, we'll be sharing the gospel, right? In the interim, we'll be sharing the gospel. Let's pray together.